Today we are joined by our extra special guest, Dustin Park. Dustin is an active duty SWAT team member with Montgomery County, Texas, and a U.S. Marshal. Dustin is the founder of Faction Tool Company, an artisan knife company that was born when a garage hobby transformed into a business. Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. So Dustin, can you tell us a little bit more about where the hobby started of making custom knives and custom metal products? Yeah, so it did start out as a hobby and I would say more of a decompression from the job I do. So I'm full-time with Montgomery County as a SWAT team member. I also hold dual credentials through the U.S. Marshals. So I've been doing that law enforcement for about 13 years, and I've been doing that for about six and a half. And I was the guy that was like, hey, I do my job. I love my job. Come home. Everything's good. But who actually started seeing a change in my attitude and demeanor and just I was changing a little bit over the years and my wife kind of said you know hey enough's enough you know she she's like she, she brought it to my attention and says you need to do something whether it's go work out I get paid to work out so it was that was wasn't on the table but she's like you need to find a hobby you need to go do something and I, I started reading up on a couple of books talk about law enforcement and decompression and being always vigilant. You know, we always have to have look over our shoulder and we have to watch where we sit in a, a, when we go to sit down. And this is not that the general public's out to get you, but we never know when we might have to act and put ourselves in front of the general public with that bad guy or that threat. It goes even to not even wearing flip-flops out, you know, because how can you effectively do your job when you're not wearing your flip-flops? Always having handcuffs. It was getting to be over years and years and years. It was getting to be well, let's just say too much. It was just too much to deal with. So I started reading up on stuff I'd like to do. My dad built houses and I had helped him throughout the years. So I've done a little bit of woodworking, done framework and stuff like that. So I was like, hey, maybe I'll do some woodworking. And then quickly said, you know, let me see if I can do something else, like some metalworking. So I actually YouTubed and my hobby for the longest time was YouTubing how to make knives for about four and a half months. My little brother does that too. And I was never the YouTube guy, but I was always the guy you have to show me to do something and I could effectively do it. So I started YouTubing how to make knives. I got a couple bad YouTube videos and then some really good ones. And one just kind of a a Walter Soros video kind of like popped up and it, it was the beginning, very basics of what you bare need if you want to do stock removal and not forging. So I watched it and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go do this initial investment. I think it was like 300 something dollars, $380 total, you know? So I worked an extra job and I was like, Hey, this is my, my hobby money. Great. So I bought a couple little pieces of equipment and I actually started with the non-ferrous metal, which means it's a, it's a metal that wouldn't be hardened. And I cut out a knife and I was like, you know what, this is, you know, learning curves. Let's try this process. So I cut them out, cut a couple out, and I sent them off to get heat treated because I was too scared to heat treat myself. They came back and the guy gave me a little bit of info. He was a local guy. He says, hey, these are really good for your first knives, like really good. I was like, okay, cool. So I just started making knives and wasn't going to sell them. And then I started getting people offering me money for them. And I don't know whether that was a support at the time being law enforcement and people wanted to support my side hustle, which is super big, or it was just, you know, so, so I was over here going, 
man, is my stuff that good? Or is it just people just wanting to support me? And then eventually it formed out. So now I've got a little algorithm that shows my, I maybe get 10% of all my sales from law enforcement or military or something like that. So it's just grown to another level. But I did that slowly, but surely I started doing more YouTube about how to heat treat It fell in from there. And then once I perfected a heat treat for a certain steel of ADC V2, I started doing some torture tests and those kind of went semi-viral and then kind of pushed me into a next level. That, that's really amazing. So, I mean, truly a hobby, truly, you weren't going out there to make a business. You were really just going out there, it sounds like, to stay friendly yeah, and keep a smile on your face and right. make your wife and family happy. Right. Um, and I was going to say, like, you seem to be pretty cogenial for a guy whose full-time job is tracking down the most dangerous wanted criminals. You're a friendly dude. Yeah. Yeah. My background prior to that was I played college ball. I've always been kind of an athlete and I just kind of fell into law enforcement. It wasn't really a, I wouldn't say a calling. It was just, I fell into law enforcement. I was like, you know what? I kind of like this and I think I could help some people. And so when I went into law enforcement, I did my years of service and a couple of years in the jail, went to the academy, did my patrol, actually helped start off our interdiction unit. And I had a passion to find bad guys. I was actually pretty good at finding the people that were doing bad stuff, nefarious things, real bad drug users breaking the houses and stuff like that. So the, the patrol level, that was kind of my niche. So it went from there. And then uh, I had a buddy of mine that was uh, one of my law enforcement, well, one of my partners. And he was like, man, he had done a tour in Baytown. And he said, hey, I'm going to try out for the SWAT team. And I, it never even occurred to me that I'd want to be SWAT. And I was like, you know what? That sounds kind of cool. We went and tried out for the team. And like I said, I've been through two a days, three days, but this was more like a 36 hour military evolution. So it was bad. It was like a gut check from heck. And I, I, the whole time I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get through this. So I got through that. I got selected to be on the team, the part-time team. And then within six months to a year, I was on the full-time team. And then the marshals came in. They're like, hey, y'all are full-time SWAT team. So we did all this training and we were available for call-outs and stuff. That was our whole job. They came in, they said, hey, we want you to track down these guys. And this, and they gave us a little bit of option, uh, you know, tools to use to track down really bad guys, uh, some systems. And it was over the years kind of perfected the craft where if you didn't want to be found, we'd still find you. It was really a great job. I don't think anybody can have a better job than that. But even that, even I was happy at my job tracking down these guys, but you see some of these things and like I stopped reading reports because they were just like, how can somebody be this evil? You know, so I was like, I can't even, you know, read this whole report. So I'm just going to find this guy, read enough just to find this guy. It would go in waves. Sometimes I would get, you know, have a week of just being super irritable and you know, I don't know, getting up in age, you know, having to go to workouts every morning. <laughs> so it's always been my thing is I had a two and a half, three year sabbatical when I was on patrol where I didn't have, was made to work out. But all in college, I was made to work out. And as soon as you get to the SWAT team, they're like, hey, you got an hour to work out, you're working out. They want us to be as fit as possible. And there's a high standard because you never know when, when, when that gut check's going to happen. You know, we've had 19 hour call outs. 13-hour call-outs where it's pack a lunch. You're sitting. It's too dangerous to go in there and just go get that guy, you know, if he's by himself, but he has a murder warrant. But we're not going away. So so, so let's go a little deeper into this and, and the evolution of your company. Okay. So you start off 
about $400 of equipment for knife making. You're outsourcing your process. You're posting some videos on YouTube and Instagram, kind of showing what you're doing and how you're testing your knives in 2017. So what was it like making your first sale? And then what was it like getting to the point where you made your hundredth sale? Relatively within the first year and a half, I had my hundredth sale. So it came really quick, like very, very quick. But my first sale was actually, and this is going to go be a taboo if any other knife makers see this. Uh, and I know where it's <laughs> at. So I'll be able to, I'll be able to get it back. But I sold my first knife. I had a uh, an HPD officer that goes, I want that knife. And I was like, I don't want to sell it. He goes, I'll give you 200 bucks for it. I was like, it's sold. That right there paid for three quarters of my initial investment. So I wasn't super tight. Now I'm like, you know, I'm probably going to message him in a couple of years uh, and say, hey, you still got that knife. I'll give you an updated <laughs> one so I can put that one up and, you know, frame it. But then um, it was a whirlwind for a year of being a hobby and then transitioning quickly into a side business, I, I stopped working extra jobs, which if people that are listening don't know what extra jobs are, it's just extra employment that law enforcement and you know other public service have to do because we're historically paid very low. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> there's you know, to get extra side money and stuff like that, they'll go do some security work or whatnot. And then that hundred cell kind of just faded into 125, 150. So it really wasn't like a milestone until I actually opened my website this year. And within three months, I've gotten, I think, 200 sales and it like uh, from Shopify oh, wow. this, this year. But it was two and a half months ago. So, yeah, three months ago, it's 200 sales. So it really seems like it was more, I mean, obviously still artisan, obviously still every knife handmade. But right, it seems like. It went slow. People really had to seek you out and people had to come to you right. and people had to, I guess, DM you on Instagram or know you in real life to, to find your knives and be able to purchase them. And that demand was there. That demand was brewing. Kind of that website went up and and that's when it really exploded. Yes. Yeah. So I probably closed my books around 2018 because I opened them up and there was just a, a mass uh, amount of people that wanted uh, a custom handmade knife and from me. So I was, I was super honored and it went up to like a hundred plus orders. So I closed my books and I was like, I'm taking deposits and just put some people I've like, Hey, you just pay when you get done. Uh, some people wanted to pay all up front. So I was like, you know, I've got my running list. And so that year I basically made about 250 knives, I think 2018. And it was, I mean, it was a full time job doing it. So I've just recently cleared up pretty much almost all of my old custom orders. Some people waited up to a year. Oh, wow. For me, the average wait time was getting into like two to three months, four months, depends on the build. And some knives at the time I was commissioned to do, I was like, let me get better because you want a really something that's it's in my wheelhouse but I haven't done it yet so let me try to do it first so I get you the best product possible exactly um, because people are paying their hard-earned money for my product I've had one customer out of all my customers that was not pleased and I he I said ship it back I'll give you a full refund and that's just how I'm I want to operate my business I'm going to give you the best product I can put out I love that. I love the authenticity here too, where it's just like, I'm trying to do something real. I'm trying to give the best product I can. 
if I can give a product that I'm comfortable making and comfortable giving to you, then let's make a deal. Otherwise, happy to give you a refund. That's a really great business model. I think as a core tenant of a brand, that the idea of authenticity and it's a great way to mark a brand. Yeah. I have a lot of vested interest in this. So I've actually hired a couple of people at, throughout time to do some contract work with me. And we'll just say that their vested interest in my company wasn't what my vested interest was. So they didn't have the want or, or their eye for the quality wasn't there. I'm still hiring, but I've got to find the right person uh, to help me expand this. And if you're going to do the, the one thing I would tell somebody if they're going to start a business is besides your research and everything and putting out a great product and everything, stand behind your product. It's not the customer's always right, but the customer is the one that is paying for your product. So put the best product in their hands that you can physically do. If you can't do a better product and they expected more, gladly give them a refund so they can go somewhere else. Don't overextend yourself, especially when it's a side job. Now, if it's your, if you're your full-time job and you're doing multiple, you can't please everybody. You're not going to be able to please everybody because some people are just very unhappy individuals, you know, <laughs> high standards. You're talking uh, about the people that haven't taken up knife making yet. Well, and, <laughs> and, well, you know, everybody's a subject matter expert, especially, you know, when they get to talk about your career versus my career. There's even the subject matter experts in knife making or knife collectors. I've gone on tangents with, oh, you're not tactical knives because they don't. This knife model isn't a tactical knife because it doesn't stab. Who said a tactical knife has to stab? I'm an actual tactician. I actually do explosive breaching and breaching and on a SWAT team and doing CQB tactics. And I've never had to stab somebody. So I'm looking at them like, you know, you're thinking of maybe a self-defense blade or something like that. But that conversation was with a guy on IG and the IG is so bad. He was talking about my Honey Badger model, which is one of my very popular models. It's a utility blade. It's got a good flat edge and a curve, so you could skin a deer with it. I kept it on my kit for the longest time because I would cut a shot tube for explosive breaching, BT-30, which is our breaching tape. I pried wood on wood doors with it. It was just a hard use, good utility blade. And he's like, that's not a tactical blade. Well, I beg to differ. You know, I do tactics and it yeah. for me. Yeah. So you started, I guess, in your garage or backyard. Have yeah. you moved to a more formal shop or are you still working out of your garage? I have. So it's kind of gone it's kind of gone full circle, but now I do both. So I started in my garage with some very basic equipment, slightly upgraded to a different grinder, still a really low end grinder. And then when stuff started really taking off, I had an opportunity through Texas Arsenal, which is a local place that it's a local gun store about twenty five minutes from me. Um, that says, hey, we've got this knife shop up here. If you want to, we can get you kind of pushed in the right direction. And it's kind of a shared space. And I had a, a little bit of financial help getting some bigger equipment, some bigger production equipment, because they saw where the company was going and the amount of products. And it was really one of those investors that was just, I want to help you. I don't really want a lot out of it. I just want to help you. And I was like, uh, after a long time thinking it over, I was, I was like, you know, let's give this a shot. Because at that time, that was about a year ago, I knew if this really would push and succeed, it would push me out of one of my, my, my dream job. So 
I talked to my family and they're like, yeah, let's try it. Uh, so we did that. Uh, so now I've got a shared space up there. It's a 25 minute drive, but I've got a large heat treat oven. I've got two grinders up there. I've got everything, a big drill press, everything to do. There's so many tools up there that I have available to me. And still I'll find myself coming back to my garage, my, my little safe space with my little equipment and still go, you know what? I want to make a knife. I want to finish up this stuff because there's something about being home, being with the family, just being in the garage. I can go check on them, go talk to them. Wife wants to run to the store or something like that. I can just, you know, Hey, let me get cleaned up. I'll go with you. But I still, a lot of times I'm up there at the shop, um, especially when I start getting in some more or some quality employees, I'll, uh, I'll be up there a lot more. So. Got it. So, so is it the shop that invested in your business or it's a separate investor and you're kind of using the shop's best? that owned the gun store or partially owned the gun store. He's just an investor that he's just a good guy that goes around and invests in stuff that not everybody, he's an investor, you know. It's about but, making money, but he's trying to right. target the right brands that, right. that he believes he, in. He looked at He looked at my brand and said, this brand could benefit X, Y, and Z. And it has. So a mutual benefit has happened, whether I, I get my Cerakote through them, you know, Cerakoting my knives, get my logos through them. A lot of people that buy my knives are law enforcement and tacticians and stuff, military knife collectors. And then they're like, oh, this is where I can go get this really cool gun and stuff like that. So it's been a mutual relationship that's kind of occurred. But yeah, it's really good. But I do find myself coming back to the house grinding out a few knives. It's almost like getting back to how I used to do it. And it was yeah. like a comfort zone. Like, hey, I can do X, Y, and Z right here. You know, instead of going all the way up there to the shop to get this done. And that's how you can tell it's still a hobby. and Right, right. And right. St- still a love. And kind of when you have that, it really enables you to keep going, keep pushing forward. I wanted to ask, and maybe you could delve a little deeper into how this deal with the investor came about and maybe some other entrepreneurs that are in similar spaces with some of these micro brands that are just starting out could benefit from working with an investor that might have more capital or more access than they do. Right. So I would suggest not going through one of these big investment firms or, you know, if you do go through your bank and make it, make it a loan to you, if you know how to do that. But when you talk about investors, he's like one of those very few. Most of them are sharks. Most of them want to go, hey, I see your business. You don't have the capital to do it, but I'm going to take a lot from you uh, when we can get this scaled up. If you look around and you've got friends that own businesses and stuff that are successful, ask them how they did that, how they went through their channels, you know, who they had. A lot of them, especially if they're not competing in their friends, a lot of them will say, yeah, this is the stuff I've learned and this is the stuff that maybe can help you. But I wouldn't get on Google and say, you know, look look for quality investors. You got to kind of pound the pavement. And one of the things that I, I hate to have the hard truth with some people, but some people aren't ready to do it yet, whether it's their product or they just they're, they're looking at it wrong. Mine wasn't scale up so I could leave law enforcement and quit and be a millionaire. Mine was hey, I'm doing a disservice to my family right now. I'm turning away a lot of orders. Books have been closed so long. Let's see. I do have a passion for this, and I love doing this. So let's make that leap. It was basically, I could have done it a year and a half ago prior to doing it, 
but it was like it pushed me into doing it. You'll kind of know when you're in business, and you might even have people come out of the woodwork. And the best thing would be to have competing offers for somebody to help you. Yeah. Um, that would be the best thing. But if you're trying to scale it up too quickly, it's an uphill battle. It, it's it's really going to be pretty difficult for you, and you might end up losing losing out on something that you know could have been good if you just would have waited a little bit longer. It almost sounds like what happened to you here is – you built something that people loved. You were getting inundated with orders. And I think in the venture capital world, they refer to this as the product market fit, where if you deliver a product that the market wants, it just flies off the shelf. And you got to this point where, holy cow, I can't fill all these orders. I can't deliver enough. I need some help. And right. I need to enable my business to go to the next step. Right. And and that solution here was was capital to help you with that. I think you, you mentioned something to the effect just now of, you're planning on leaving law enforcement. Can you talk a little bit more about what you're planning on doing and where, where that decision is? Yeah, so the decision has been made, but I, I have all my ducks in a row. I'm still going to be a reserve. I'm going to be doing the knife business full time. I have 13 years. I could have retired at 20. It's mainly the business is pushing me out. So I'm just going to roll over my retirement to, I've got a couple of, I don't even know what they are, but I <laughs> saying that this is what you should roll it into and you're going to put X amount in every month and then you're going to be fine, you know, when you retire. So I was like, okay, you know, if you don't actually know that, find somebody that does know that uh, and not the stock investment guy or anything like that, you know, find somebody. Try, that- try bogleheads.com. That could be a good resource for you. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to send me that too, because I guarantee you I'll forget it. Uh, no so- problem. You got it. <laughs> We're done. Send that to me. But um, my team knows that I'm leaving. There's a new guy, you know, I'm 36 years old. There's a couple of guys that were a little bit older than me on the team, but it's a really a young man's game. And, you know, I had maybe two more years on the SWAT team because of very high standards, very, very high standards. And you shoot all day, you know, make the standard shooting all day, but we have pretty high quality, uh, high PT standards. You don't want to be the guy that's a hindrance to everybody. I'm saying I can I can pass my PT right now, but it's hurting every day. It's hurting, you know. So it's uh it's one of those things. Getting up in age, we have a couple guys that are forty, and their day's number two. And I looked at it, and I weighed some options, and it's, I really don't have a calling to go up and rank. You know, I don't really want to do that, and I don't want to go back to patrol because that's the most dangerous job that law enforcement can do is be a patrol officer. You know, walking a beat, driving a car, pulling cars over. So I was like, everybody's like, oh, you do SWAT. That's so dangerous. You know, you go after these violence. We go after these dudes with 12 dudes, fully kitted up. We are the safe. We're in armored vehicles. You know, we're we so safe. We have the, the quality equipment, these big kits, Nevesky rifles, you know, high trained. We have the safest job. It's me and 11 other dudes going after these people. You know, so they usually they see us and they're like, oh, gosh, you know, deer in the headlight look and they freeze. We've had a couple bad ones where they've been prepared for us. But all in all, it's pretty safe because we make it safe. The unsafe uh, job is pulling that car over for that busted taillight, not knowing the unknowns, you know, not knowing what that what person's in that car, where their headspace is, what what they're what they're doing and. You know, some people like, you know, the answer is, oh, you can run their license plate. Half the people that, you know, come back on the license plate aren't the people that are in the car, you know? So it's, it's catch 22. So I just looked at it like, uh, how many times am I going to roll the dice? 
I'm not scared. It's not me. It's my family. I've done some stuff that I shouldn't have done when I've acted and I shouldn't have acted. I was like, man, I shouldn't have done that. That was really dangerous. And I look back at it. I'm like, why am I doing this? Because it wasn't scary for me. It was, and I look back and I'm like, hey, I could have been really hurt. And what would my family do? Yeah. It's one of those things of, I have so much respect from doing the job. I have so much respect for law enforcement. There are some bad apples out there. There are some people out there that don't deserve the badge. There's good things that are going on with more training and less of a me versus them. Back when I started, it was everybody was what they called a turd. If you weren't public service and you weren't law enforcement, you were just a criminal in the making. That's a bad way to look at it. And a lot of these guys get so jaded after seeing the worst of the worst all the time after every call. They get so jaded where... You know, that average citizen comes up to you and just want directions and they get an asshole cop. And it's like, hey, that's on that cop. You know, you're doing this job. You need to find something like I did to become less jaded. So, but yeah, that's pretty much it. So that's going off on a tangent, but it's pushing me off. I'm going to talk to my team uh, coming this week uh, a little bit more in depth. I put in my letter leaving on great standings. I've got so much awards, accolades. I'm really leaving law enforcement on a good note. And I hope that they will, throughout the next couple of years, it'll still, it's low right now, but it'll come back up, you know, be a little bit of a more of a higher ride for them. That's great stuff. Um, And speaking of your family and seeing your family, tell me what it's like having a knife shop in your garage with four young kids. Well, so how does your wife deal with that? So it's pretty, I have really good kids. So I've always had weapons around and put up. It's have a talk with your with your kids, especially if you're going to be a gun owner and stuff like that. Have that serious talk. Hey, there's a weapon and you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And all my kids know how to use a firearm. And it wasn't at a young age, but they know they don't touch anything of dad's that they shouldn't be touching. Being safe, having a safe and stuff like that. They know they don't go wandering around in the knife shop. They know that there's equipment in there. But uh, it's mainly the wife complains about the dirt, you know, mining <laughs> and stuff like that. So I've done a couple things to, you know, keep the dirt out of the house, especially now. But first starting off, knife making is not a clean hobby. If you want to get your hands dirty and be covered in dirt and nettle dust, and it's the hobby for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been really great. One final question on the story is, did you have any points in your business and in the making of faction tools that you were faced with a tremendous challenge or felt like the business was going to fail or any real struggles you had gone through as part of the business? In in my personality, I still don't know why people buy my knives. Like, I don't. I don't know why is succeeding. I don't know why people will pay $285, $300 for a knife from me. I'm super humbled all the time, but I wake up and I'm like, I've got to get X, Y, and Z done. And this customer's waiting and this customer's waiting. I'm like, yep, it's going to implode today. It's going to be all over, you know, and then I get it done. And then the next day it's the same thing, but it's not a, a stress. It's a, let's get this done. Let's do this. And I don't know. It's just me. I really don't have, I know why it's succeeding, but I don't know why, if that makes any sense. 
it's one of those, yeah, it's a good product. Yeah, I can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, my background. But why is it at the level it's at right now? I've got people that collect high-end blades like Half-Face Blades Tour that are Compliance Edge and all these other uh, Winkler that are collecting my blades. And I'm like, this is insane. I'm just a dude. I started in my garage fiddling around with knives, you know, relatively not that long ago, a couple of years ago. And now they're putting my knife up with a thousand dollar Winkler blade. You know, I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy. But yeah, <laughs> that's it. A- absolutely. Every day, every day I think it's going to fail, but then it doesn't. Then I guess just on the coattails of that question, what, what are your plans for the business? Obviously with transitioning to do it full time, where do you see the business in five years from now? My five-year model wants me to have five employees. So I've got it all wrote down if I'm remembering back from what it is. But that's also a good thing is to set goals for your business, your one-year goal, your two-year goal, your five-year goal, and to try to stick to that model. And maybe talk to other businesses that are not competing with you, but maybe we'll be able to help you out and say, what is their business model and how do they go? But my five-year goal is five employees, production folders, production fixed blades, and handmade, like you could say like a signature series or something like that for being handmade, pushing my price point down on the production side would be able to ramp it up and step it up. And it would push the price point a little bit higher for a handmade knife. But that's just the business side. You never really know what's going to happen. It could happen within a year or I could in five years have five employees and only do handmade no production, nothing like that. So I don't know. Sweet. That, that's really exciting and really excited to see where the business goes and develops over the next five years. It's been great speaking to you. Let's dive into some of our questions that our listeners love. Some rapid fire questions. Tell us about your favorite book. Oh, so a book that's always stuck with me is, um, and the law enforcement will know this, is uh, On Killing by uh, Lieutenant Rex Grossman. If you're in law enforcement, if you're not in law enforcement, if you're fire, whatever, uh, pick up some Rex Grossman books. He's Lieutenant Rex Grossman. His books go into a lot. Uh, a lot of the stuff was happening with the school shootings and stuff like that, the past versus now, but a lot of combat breathing. It was one of those books that just kind of resonated with me for a long time, especially when I was doing tactics. So that's a good book to pick up. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, with the lockdown, you're going to the office every day, but I'm sure you have some extra time. What are you spending your extra time with on Netflix, Hulu? What are you watching these days? All right. So let me think about the Netflix. I think we just started, me and the wife just started, um, what was it? Supernatural. So I guess um, <laughs> we started that. We we watch a lot. I'll watch a couple episodes because a couple of buddies have been on Forged and Fire through the Knife community. And I'll watch a couple of episodes of Forged and Fire. Hulu. I think we we're on the prodigal son right now. So <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it's all over the place. I really don't have a genre that I just stick to. We, it's pretty much at the end of the day, me and the wife sit on the couch after dinner, kids are in bed. We watch an hour or something. Sweet. Good stuff. And what advice would you give to a fellow law enforcement officer that is interested in starting their own business or has a hobby that they think is on the precipice of becoming a business? I would say just right off the bat, me being law enforcement and knowing law enforcement is do it for the right reasons. You know, do it for the right reasons. Don't overextend yourself. If your hobby is your hobby or your business is your business, don't act like it's an extra job. 
extra jobs to law enforcement are, hey, I need, you know, 250 bucks because I want to go buy this, you know, or hey, X, Y, and Z. Don't overextend yourself and don't, and people are going to hate me, but don't rely, don't push that blue line, that blue line of, hey, you got to support me because I'm a law enforcement officer or heavily rely on those people that say, hey, I'm going to support you because your thin blue line and stuff like that. And I hope that doesn't come off super bad, but they'll know what I mean is do it for the right reasons. Take care of your customer and make sure you have a product that they're going to want. You know, don't just try to throw stuff out there that nobody's really going to want. And people are just buying it initially because they're trying to support you. Make it something quality, make it something that people will, will want that can use. And then, It'll grow. It'll grow from just public servants supporting you to everybody supporting you. That's really great advice. And, and tell me some other advice you would give to a recent high school or college graduate that is considering joining law enforcement as a career. So make sure you have a, an extreme calling. I'm talking about in the depth of your soul that you want to do this. You want to make your community a better place. Which that's all like public service and the uh, law enforcement and fire are very similar to the military. People will join the military, but then eventually they become very patriotic. Law enforcement on the one side is there. You can go through your career and never really get that. I really want to support my community. I really want to make my community safer. And if you start finding out that you did do it and it's just a job to you. Go do something else. There's so much more money in other businesses, especially if you're a you know a college graduate. Just go do something else because that's I think you need to have a, an extreme calling that you really want to help over doing that because you're not going to get rich. You'll live okay at whatever agency you go to, uh, and then you'll start seeing that you can work a bunch of extra jobs and get even more money. But then you're tired, and it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> Well, Dustin, this conversation has been great. Where could people go to find out more about Faction Tool Company? So I am on IG, it's Faction Tool Co. I've got the same moniker for TikTok, but I'm doing all my sales and stuff through my website. It's uh, Faction Tool Co, factiontoolco.com. You could just scroll through some of my available blades, some limited editions. This month, I'll be posting a lot more up there. And then there's a couple pre-sales up there too. So usually with a pre-sale, you're going to be waiting about three to four or five weeks. Available blades, it's usually just waiting to get the sheath attached and sharpened up and then ship out. So usually about five days wait. I'm trying to get it to where I'm hiring a couple people to be able to step that process up where you purchase and it's out the door the next day. Well, Dustin, it was great having you on the show. I appreciate and you having me in. You have been listening to Built by Heroes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to look up an inch or down an inch and leave a review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Built by Heroes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.